Good morning to you, church. So you take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 9. This will be part of our scripture reading. Go ahead and read chapter 9 and read down through verse 16. And a little something to keep you alert. I want you to notice that there is one word in here that comes up at least three times. Uh, I'm not talking about articles, a, and, and the. I'm talking about a noun. And it's so important where we're going this morning. So you're with me? Romans in the ninth chapter. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises. Whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever? Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Neither are they all children, because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise who are regarded as descendants. For this is a word of promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. And though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose, according to his choice, might stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. What should we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he who says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. All right, let that sink in, and you can go ahead. I'm going to pray now, but you can go ahead and get yourself ready for Romans chapter 11. Let's pray together. Oh, God, our Father, we thank you for your mercies that were true during the night as well as day. 
for us being here this morning, bringing us with uh, reasonably good health and, a good, and hopefully a good night's sleep. Thank you, Lord, that you're in all our circumstances. You're not absent. I pray that you will give us our minds, uh, make our minds clear and so that we can open, have our eyes open to your word. Lord, we want to pray for those that are not well today among us or not among us this morning. We pray for Judy, Anna, as she's fighting another bout of sickness, infirmities. Let this not discourage her, but Lord, may her joy and hope be in you. Give her the encouragement and the help she needs. For Mike and Diane Johnson, Lord, as they go through these gates of anxiety about tests and surgeries, Lord, I pray that they will be um, absolutely confident that you do all things well. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Give them that peace and steadiness indeed. Father, we thank you that you brought R.J. and Erica with us and their children. Yes, thank you for them. They have accompanied them to be with us. And Father, now as they make this trip back tomorrow to go back to Michigan, mercies on the road, joyfulness in the car. We pray that uh, for... All these things that before them, Lord, it uh, kind of daunting. It's, it could seem no longer having a house, but yet looking toward a new house, moving furniture, paying off bills, finding a new bank, finding new whatever, Lord, all those things that go with moving. Give them. We thank you, Lord. You are the, you're the sweet Lord of providence, and you guide and you open and shut doors, and give them that confidence day by day in this transitional time of life. And Father, now, we look into your word. We need your guidance. We need your spirit to teach us, Lord. We're diving in the deep end of the pool, the pool of truth. We look to your spirit to direct. Open our eyes to see wonderful things from your law. Amen. Amen. The nation of Israel, the Jews. What's in the future for Israel? You thought anything about that? Well, I hope you do before I get through with you this morning. Let's look at it. Here is Israel. Just we're thinking the nation Israel, surrounded by hostile nations, Syria, Lebanon, Egypt, Jordan, Turkey. Iran sits at the east at a distance of 1,000 miles. That's well within a driving distance of, from here to the other side of Texas. That's Iran, close to Israel. Hezbollah in Lebanon has over 100,000 missiles aimed at Israel. Israel is locked in a deadly war with Hamas. The UN is asking for a ceasefire. Politicians in America disapprove of Israel's war with Hamas. Some do. Some are saying that Gaza and the West Bank should be run by a, quote, revamped and revitalized Palestinian authority. Turkish President Erdogan tells President Biden uh, that, that 
U.S. Is, is, has a historic responsibility to ensure ceasefire. Senior Hamas official threatens the current Secretary of State, says America must pay the price for Gaza blood. The NAACP leader says, defends Harvard's president, says critics are pushing white supremacists, a white supremacist agenda. Now, to make matters worse, more difficult for the Jews, listen to the following statements. I mean, I've presented you some not so friendly fire, but the, this, you would expect something different from those within, shall I say, confessional faith within the body of Christ here and in the United Kingdom. Quote, the present brutal, repressive, racist policies of the state of Israel would suggest another exile on the horizon rather than a restoration. I won't mention the name. I do have it here. I'll go there with you in the Sunday school hour. But here, here's a haunting intimation. I don't quote, I don't believe the state of Israel is of God in the sense that it is the fulfillment or even the preliminary stage in the fulfillment of all that God promised and predicted in the Old Testament about the future of the land and its people. I would go further and suggest that for Christians to interpret these events simply as the fulfillment of prophecy, prophecy represents a kind of regression. And, not through yet, consider this statement from a Reformed theologian. This is really getting close to home. I won't mention his name. The church, quotes, the church then, as the people of the new covenant, has taken the place of Israel. And national Israel is nothing more than the empty shell from which the pearl has been removed and which has lost its function in the history of redemption. The future of Israel, what is it? And what does it have to do with us? I want to tell you something, quite frankly. We'll get to some very personal matters here. Israel's future is vitally tied in to our future. I don't mean as a group. Oh, by the way, how many here this morning, not to embarrass anyone, I'll just say are Gentiles. You don't need to raise your hands, but you've, you're, oh, yeah, up your self-awareness is pretty good, certainly. You're Gentile. Gentile Christians? All right, we, we're, we're in this story. But we're not necessarily the heroes above all else. Keep that in mind. We need a lot of grace and mercy. Do you personally need some grace and mercy? I'll raise my hand on that one. Well, we'll go there. Well, we're going to go to the book of Romans. Romans. It's a letter to the church at Rome in 58 AD. It's about the gospel of God, the good news. This is a little over 30, maybe 35 years after the ascension of Christ. Paul writes this letter to the church at Rome. He's on a missionary trip, and he's got one plan beyond Rome. He's got plans. What in the world would Paul have done if he had had modern travel means to get around? <laughs> but there it is, 58 AD. He writes this letter, he writes it from Corinth. And where we're going... We're going to chapter 11 and verses 25 to 32. You want to know? That's where we'll land. We're going there. Well, here we are, Romans 9 through 11. 
it's part of, this is a package within the package of the book. Romans 9 through 11 is the culmination of Paul's argument in this letter. It is. It's not just a side note. It's not a parenthesis. It's not a footnote. Jew and Gentile are, here's the way the book goes, are one in sin, one in salvation, one in sanctification. And Romans is about reaching the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, in the words that have been placed within the story of Apollo 13, a slight misquotation, but it certainly makes the point, and we find it as part of our sometime. Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> if there ever an understatement, we have a problem. Well, we have a problem. There is a problem. That's why Romans 9, 10, and 11 are written. Why was Israel set aside? The Old Testament drips with Israelology. I, yet I hear, I know of a preacher who wants to kind of put the Old Testament on a hinge and turn it away. What are they, what is one thinking to think like that? So, has God's saving purpose toward the na Jewish nation failed? That's the question. Answer is, in O. That God's sovereign right over Israel as a nation is a reality. That's what Romans, we start out with Romans 9, and I didn't get into all of it, but that's the point of Romans 9. God's sovereign. Sovereign over election. You and I aren't. God is. And then there is human rebellion in Israel as individuals. Oh, there's personal responsibility. What are you going to do with the revelation that God has given? That's chapter 10. And then we come to chapter 11. The ultimate restoration of Israel as saved people. Romans 11. Is that not huge? Now, here's what I want to do. I want you to look at Romans 11, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 24. Got to do it. Got to do it. I know to really get to, I did a little long jumping in high school and track, and I know what it's like to stand up there at the end of the runway, and you want to do a running long jump. Broad jump. Oh, it helps to have some speed getting down there and then get it right and then boom, you jump through the air. Well, that's what we need to do with Romans chapter 11. So let's go down the runway because we're going to jump into the sand pit, sawdust pit. But, but we got to do this other we, and we got to get our momentum. We got to get a grasp on it. So are you with me? Don't let your mind wander. I know maybe you didn't sleep. Maybe you only got three hours sleep last night. Just ask the person to kind of occasionally do this. You know, a little elbow in the ribs. <laughs> Follow me. We're going to read. I'm going to have to make a few comments, but I'm going to try to keep us uh, steady as she goes. So are you there with me in Romans chapter 11 and beginning at verse 1? He begins by saying, and this is the first two questions that kind of guide us through this whole section. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? Well, a negative answer is, is expected here. No, he's not. They have not been discarded, not at all, disposed of. May it never be. Uh, <laughs> Paul then gives, look at me. Who's speaking here? A converted Jew. 
And was he ever on fire as a converted Jew? He says, For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. There was a deliberate setting upon Israel and himself. God, not just, oh, I, oh, I know you're there. That's not what he means by this word, foreknow. It's a deliberate, unilateral choice of Israel. Or, do you not know that what the scripture says is the passage about Elijah? I pleased with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed thy prophets and have torn down thine altars. I alone am left and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him, to Elijah, when he thought, I'm all alone. Custer's last stand. Wait a minute. I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way then, there was also, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant, circle that word, important, of Jewish Christians. You get, you've got to keep some things sorted out here. You've got Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, remnant, you've got, okay, I'll keep you alert to that. Stay with me. There's a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What Paul's doing, it's just a bit of a digression. If you read Paul's letters, you know he does this. They're not in, there's no way is it incidental. It's very important. But it's just a little brief digression on grace down through verse 10. What then? That which Israel is seeking for is not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. That's going to come up to be very important. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. Well, he's speaking here of this of deaf mutes, spiritual deaf mutes. Can't speak, can't hear. What? Truth is preached, but it just, just goes right by them. Missed it. David says, and here he quotes Psalm 69, 22 and 23. David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs backward for, back forever. Or he gets back on track, a little bit about grace there, but he's going forward. Second question, you with me? Question number two, look. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? Well, what's he mean? Is it like the commercial, help, I'm falling, I can't get up? Um, well, what he's indicating here is that since most Jews have rejected Christ, does that mean that he's through with them as a people? That's what he's saying. Well, he says, may it never be, not at all. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them, who's the, them, the Jew, the unconverted Jews, to make them jealous. Oh, pause, footnote. I wonder, could you say that the way we Christians behave, talk, live, that we're actually making the Jews say, 
oh, I want some, I want that. I want that which they have with God. That's wonderful. What have we missed? Oh, okay, save that for later. What happened? Okay, back to verse 12. Now, if they're trans, there, Israel as a whole, if their transgression be riches for the world, he's meaning that, okay, okay, God has a way of taking that which is not so good and making it for the good. And what is the good? The spread of the gospel goes to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles turn in great numbers. And the dissemination of the gospel and their failure be riches for the Gentiles how much more will their fulfillment be? You, you, know, you know this? Take heart in this. Your, our presence this morning here as Gentile Christians is a witness to the fact that this came as a result of God's sovereign work in his plan to bring out of Israel's rejection of the Messiah to bring us to faith in Jesus Christ. Do you think that way at, from time to time? We should. That's what he's talking about here. Well, now, let's go a little further along then. Verse 13, but I am speaking to you who are Gentiles in the church at Rome, inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy, there he is, he's on that again, move to jealousy, that he, he would love to have a Jewish backlash. We heard that word lately, backlash. Did you say, well, hey, what's going on here? God has worked in us as his covenant people for centuries. And now look at these people coming by the hundreds, by the thousands, and they proclaim God and speak of his wonders, his justice, his mercy, his grace. Well, Paul went out preaching that. I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. This is uh, some, some, pick up on that word because this is to be kept distinct from the all Israel that's to be saved in verse 26. I'm anticipating. You still with me? All right, long reading, isn't it? But we got to do it. For if their rejection be the reconciliation of the world, that is the opportunity to hear the gospel message, which is the message of be reconciled to God, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? It will be to turn out to be the world's advantage. There's there's better, even better things coming. Hang on. And if the first piece of dough, he goes off to a metaphor here. He doesn't stay with it. He, I think Paul writes just as, as, as he is in his personality. He comes up with a metaphor. And then while he's doing it, you think, oh, you know, I got a better metaphor. I'm going to go to that one next. All right, but he uses this one. Piece of dough be holy. The lump is also. But if the root be holy, there he goes, makes that jump. Got a better illustration, and he wants to describe how God has dealt with Israel and has dealt with the Gentiles. Here we are. And so, therefore, if the root be holy, then the branches also. But if some of the branches are broken off, now watch it here, watch it. This some would be unbelieving Israel. Some of the branches were broken off. And you, who would this be? Gentile believers, being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root. What's that? The Abrahamic covenant. Transfer, transfer it on down. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The blessings that were promised to the world. 
We enter into that because we come to faith in Christ. Do not be arrogant toward the branches, but if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. Don't despise the Jews. Don't despise the Jews. Look at it. And he says further, you will say then branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. All right, don't get all puffed up over that. Quite right, they were broken off, unsaved Jews, for their unbelief, and you, saved Gentiles, stand only by your faith. Do not be conceited. Don't be full of hot air. The Greek word there is an interesting word, metaphorically, <laughs> like a billows. Who do you think you are? Don't be conceited. For if God did not spare the natural branches, Israel, neither will he spare you, Gentiles. This is the warning to the church. If you get, look, if the wheels come off for the church, like 2 Timothy 3 says, look, look at this time that can come for the church and you begin to deny this truth, that truth, the other truth, and you get into the same corporate condition of unbelief, watch out, God will judge. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell away, severity, but to you, God's kindness, Gentile believers. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you may also be cut off. He's not talking about personal salvation. He's talking about group work here in terms of the Gentiles. So he says then, and they also, if they do not continue in their belief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off, from what is by nature a wild olive tree, you, Gentile believers, we were once wild olive. You want a little family emblem, just use a wild olive branch, that'll work. Put that on your coat of arms. Um, and were grafted contrary to nature into the cultivated uh, olive tree. How much more shall those who are what? And then we're getting into verse 25. Okay, we ran down the runway. How'd we do? You still, you ready to jump? All right, now, shoo, let's jump. Verse 25 to 32, we got there. Let's see what we need to do. And what happens now is this. There are four statements, I think, summary statements that Paul, we could say Paul makes here in these verses to show that Israel is going to be restored as an ethnic people group, a converted Israel, but ethnically Jew. And they will be restored. The story is not over. There is a future for Israel, and it's glorious. And he gives four statements. Number one, follow it. Number one is this. Israel's future restoration is assured by the completion of Gentile conversions, the church. This is what he refers to, and let me, let me get to that uh, continuation of that that reading in verse 25, and I've got it here, right here. Verse 25, here it is. For I do not want you, brethren, look at the verse, we're back, we're, we're in the, we've jumped, we're in it. For I do not want you, brethren, brothers, Jew, this is Jew and Gentile believers in the church at Rome. I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. Mystery? What does it mean? Is it? Ooh, mysterious. No, it doesn't mean that. He doesn't mean that it was not the subject of Old Testament revelation. 
The door was closed on it. The curtain was pulled on it, but it's pulled back. Lest you be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel. It's a case, the word in the original is porosis. Porosis, this partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What's this fullness? Every last Gentile at this stage in the plan of God is going to be saved, who, whoever that's going to be. I, I got a great-granddaughter. Will she be the last one if she comes to Christ? I don't know, pardon that personal expression, but will it be like that? It will end. And so then the second coming of Christ, when the fullness of the Gentiles, every Gentile in this phase of God's plan is converted, then what? Next stage. So that's verse Huh, you can see, well, Israel's got a blind spot, don't they? Isn't that what he, that's what he's saying, that partial heart. You familiar with blind spots? Hey, they can be a little scary. Now, we got a car that kind of helps us out a little bit, puts that little orange light out there on the rear view, on the side mirror. You know how that works? Because you, you know how it is. You, you can look over there, and there's nothing. Then you look back there, and there's nothing. And you can pull over. Uh-uh, don't do that. And I've learned, side note here, a little driving lesson my son reminded me of this. Try not to stay in a person's blind spot when you're going down the road. If you're there, you realize where you are and kind of scoop, scoop, back and forth. All right, no extra charge, driving lesson. All right. But this is what Israel has. She's got a blind spot. To the Jews, the Messiah is a what? A stumbling block. A st Why? What? Their expectations were all wrong. All wrong. They didn't recognize him. I read this story, so I'll just summarize it. The story of a person that happened in England and King George was told he was coming to a children's ward and there was this child who was seriously ill and said, the king's going to be coming today. So he waits all day long. And then at the end of the day, I didn't see the king. Oh, you missed him. Well, why? He didn't have his crown on. He was looking, he didn't recognize him at that because of that one thing. He just came in and looked like an ordinary person. Uh, this is what Israel did. They, what did they expect? They looked at Jesus, what did he do? He's a human being. He walked, he talked, he cried. He got sleepy, he got hungry. He couldn't just accelerate and be from, go over 100 miles an hour when he was traveling to save time. No. Uh, and on and on, you know, you understand the humanity of Christ. And, and, say, and, and then he's charged with being, having broke, broken the law. No, no, he didn't. No, you made that up. And then he was charged, and then they found false witnesses, and he did that like a common criminal, dying up there on that cross like a thief, like any other thief, any other crook. Aren't you? Hey, this is your Mashiach? Really? We were expecting some kind of political thing coming in and taking care of these Romans, showing them a thing or two. Didn't happen. I know this. I know of a well-trained Jewish man that I listen to regularly, and he just said that. We're looking, he said, he was looking for, he looking for a political Messiah. Uh-oh. Okay, you got verse 25. Do you get, do you get the point there with what, what's going on here? I want to say something just briefly before we pass on to this all Israel should be saved. That this divine mystery is really, it's, it's a correction to human conceit. That's what it is. How so? 
Here, the, the, the mystery has three components. Write these down. Number one, the mystery is the hardening of Israel. And God turned to the Gentiles when the Jew, Jews turned away. That was not on Israel's radar screen. They thought that was failure on the part of the Messiah. And the other part of this mystery is that the full number of Gentiles being saved. Hmm. Yeah, they've got to come into the church. And then the other is that God will do a new work in the future. And he's going to save all Israel, which we're about to go into in the next verse. So this divine mystery includes a partial hardening. And it's in part during this age, while God is working, saving Jews, saving some Jews, saving mostly Gentiles. We're a witness to that this morning. And this hardening, it's this sense of stubbornness in those who get, resist God and get stubborn. Can I pause and say something here just as a warning? There are some young people here. It can happen to adults, but watch out, young people. Do I have the hearing of all the young people? I, I'll say, anyone under 21, be careful. What's going to happen if you are a believer? You get, there's an unbelieving aspect of this. If you are a believing Christian. You know what you're likely to see in your early days of the Christian faith? You're likely to see some real disappointments. People that you kind of revered. You, they may be leaders in the church or maybe your parents or that, that circle of people in whom you have confidence. And they disappoint you. You find out that they weren't what they were supposed to be. And they dis, it's, it hurts. You know what can happen? You can, you can push back and say, well, is that all there is to it? You, you read this scenario in the paper quite frequently now. We're being told by these polls that younger Christians are looking at things differently than their adult forefathers did have, and they've got a new social agenda and this, that, and the other. I'm not exactly talking about all that, but it can enter in. And what I'm trying to get at is that be careful lest you get bitter and you harden your heart against God. You say, I don't want any more of this Christianity. I'm going to go searching. Oh, my. I would say, good luck with that. Uh-uh. Dead end streets. You won't. I pray that any young people who's hearing this will find this out and understand and don't let this throw you. Hardening the heart can be disastrous and you'll end up with a ruined and wrecked life in ways that you didn't even imagine oh but can you could you end up being dying happy and having to do, being able to do everything you want to do yeah that's just another way of experiencing the tragedy all right now i'm not saying adults can't do this folks i'll be very personal here i grew up in a home where a mother and a father had a lot of problems with the christians and christian community that disappointed them. I know what it looks like. Okay, this is not, this is your life, so let's get back to this passage. The divine mystery includes the fullness of the Gentiles. This is a soteriological term, what he's describing, this temporary hardness of most of the Jews to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that until, until what? Until this promise through Israel is going to come to fruition. And the olive tree is going to flourish. Do you have that? Now, there's a second, second 
statement here regarding restoration. Look at it. It's in verses 26 and 27. Israel's future restoration is assured by the conversion of Israel. Wow, do we really ever get some good news here? Okay, look at it. You with me? Look at this. He says, and thus all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. And he quotes Isaiah 59, 20 and 21. I went back and reread that this morning in Isaiah. I love Isaiah. I go back there. I like that house. Went back there. Looked at it again. It's 59th chapter. It's about Israel's sins and how they got them into a ditch, into a moral ditch. And I mean, Israel and... Because he was writing, Isaiah was speaking to Israelites who were in the, into the Babylonian captivity and they had paid the price for their disobedience. And, but then he does one of those things in 19, 20 and 21 of Isaiah 59. He leaps forward, way forward, to the coming of Messiah one day to put everything right and to deal with sin and so forth. All right, that's the context. We didn't have to turn to it. That was the context. Now, look what he says. He quotes this. He quotes Isaiah 59, 20 and 21. The deliverer will come. This word deliver is a rich word in the, in the Hebrew. Some of you may recall the book of Ruth and the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, the one close to kin who will buy your, as in the case of Ruth, buy the property and so forth, put themselves out there at personal sacrifice. All right, that's it, redeemer. It's, a, it's the strong kinsman who avenges the weaker friend. So this deliverer will come from Zion and he will remove ungodliness from Jacob and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins he's describing new covenant life and what Christ is going was going to do from this well that's it those two verses we got those no let's package them up a little bit hear it again here it is again this all Israel will be saved I want to make my three four statements I really want to make this clear and I, I, don't, I don't want to get unnecessarily controversial about it, though I'm not afraid of controversy. I just don't want us to get off the path, the point that Paul's making here. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who, uh, when they get to this all-Israel statement, uh, things get just a little bit tricky. He's speaking here of ethic. I'm going to say it two ways. I'm going to give you a summary statement, and then I'm going to go through about two or three additional statements, Okay. What he's saying is that ethnic Israel has a future. It does. Now, I want to say something that takes us into a man that came up recently in some questions. John Calvin. You know, John Calvin, he said a lot of good things. And he's not an anti-hero for me. I mean, I've got his commentaries and he's helped. He's done a lot of helpful things. He was brilliant. I went to his church and stood there and looked up that pulpit from which he preached. Expositional preaching for decades. So I'm, I'm not dissing him. However, he didn't have everything right. <laughs> he, he didn't. This is where he, one place he really fumbled the ball. He, he interpreted this as the church, this all Israel. And you think, what? The church, what, are you, what are you saying? That's talking to Israel. I'll leave it at that. There's more to it, but he said. But this is contrary to the use of the word Israel. You know, you find the word Israel in the New Testament 73 times. And I'll give you a little homework assignment if you want some help with this. 
I just came on it this morning. Um, on aside here, I spoke, I, I use Siri a lot. She knows so much right away. Um, and I asked, Siri, how many times is the word Israel used in the New Testament? Boom! I, I get one, two, three different possible places where I could go. And guess what? The first one was a really good one. I know about this church. Dr. Wickham used to preach there with regularity up in New England, the Middletown Bible Church. And they have a long uh, contribution here as to the meaning of the word Israel in the New, New Testament. It's good. Try it on your phone. Don't do it now. But uh, get, you, all you got to do is ask Siri, tell me how many times, and then you'll get some, at least it did on mine, and it was helpful. Uh, okay, I, I, okay, I can't change, chase that. It was an interesting study, and there are really, I do this much for my my, my friends who are so long covenant theology and all millennialism, they're my friends. They're not my enemies. We have lovers' quarrels. We do. <laughs> but I will tell you this. When you get all 73 of those and you look at them, you get down to three passages. If you're trying to say that the word Israel means the church, you've got the passage in... Um, uh, Romans 11, was it verse 6, all Israel, not Israel. Well, he's talking about not every Jew is a converted Jew. He's not talking about the church. He's talking about Jews who are converted. And then uh, this passage, there's a passage in Galatians 6, 16. That re we had talked about that maybe in another venue, but that's not what that passage means. Israel of God, some want to make that is representing the church. Not at all. I know you're taking my word for it. That's not enough, but okay, can I get back on? I said, now I want to summarize. What does it mean? All Israel's to be saved. Well, first of all, many will not be saved. We know this because there's a judgment that precedes this eschatologically. Oh, you were given a little chart. Did, did you get that? It's got color. It's, it's uh, some heavy paper. They were handed out there. Two of them are on the front if you want to come up after it. If you, you may not have gotten one. And I'll, I'll just give you a brief verbal description. Can we flash it up there on the screen? Uh, it's not, not absolutely necessary, but some may not have it. I just want to say a couple of things about it. It's from Daniel. It's based on, oh, the, yeah, there, there it is. Thank you. Um, let's see it better this way. And... Uh, that it is from based on Daniel 9, 24 to 27. And this period of time that's coming, the time of Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation, and the events as they unfold. And so what we need to understand is that at the end of this tribulation, this would be down to the right here where the, where the Messiah is about to come, there will be a turning of Jews. Many Jews, not every Jew alive at that time, many will have already been and lost their lives in the slaughter of the tribulation as anti-Semitism will rise to the greatest heights in human history in the tribulation period. But there will be a judgment, Ezekiel 20, and verses 34 through 38. All right, it's the first thing. I'm trying to explain all this will be saved. Second, all here refers to a maximum number of Jews who will be saved out of a single generation living in the time of the second coming of Christ. Do you you get that? He's not saying every last Jew. 
Actually, there's a comparison going on here. For the fullness of the Gentiles, when the full number of Gentiles are converted, then that will be the conclusion, and then we'll come back to the restoration of Israel. Does that mean that every Gentile is converted? No. But many, 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 many. This is the idea here. Many. So all Israel will be saved. And so what this is going to be is the fruition of the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, of the new covenant, and so, ethnic Israel has a future. And Paul nails this argument down with quotes from Scripture. He always does that. So, all refers, one more time, actually this is the third time. This, um, this is not senility here. I don't know what I'm doing at this point. All refers not to every single Jew, but to the majority of the Jewish nation. Israel refers to ethnic Israel, the Jews. He's not referring to the Gentiles. He's not referring to the church. Some attempt to make all Israel refer to the church. Many of the reformers, unfortunately, they took that Roman Catholic eschatology and hermeneutic and it's gotten, into this, gotten us into this difficulty. We'll be saved. So this refers to a specific time in the future when the majority of national Israel will be saved. And it's, at the, it's the, the time of Israel's 70 week of years, what you see on the chart. You have before you. It's not referring to some Jews being saved. It's not, it's not a durative action like Jews saved back 300 years ago, Jews saved 200 years ago. Jews, no, it's not that picture. Take it for what it says. And Zechariah describes it in vivid language. In Zechariah chapter, if we had the time, we could, I could walk you through in about seven steps there through Zechariah 12, 13, 14, and you could see it laid out there clearly. That's really quite unique in a prophet to be, you know, do this follows this, this follows this. All right, still with me? All right, that's important to get. So we must beware of the conceit of thinking that the church has permanently replaced Israel. No, no, no. We're going to talk about this in the next hour, Sunday school, and as we deal with anti-Semitism. And we must beware of, there's a side note here, personal conceit and pride with regard to thinking about ourselves. Hey, while I'm on it, let me throw a couple of things your way. This conceit issue. You know what conceit is? It's elevating our felt needs over special revelation. There's a lot of this that's infected the evangelical church. It's all about felt needs. And pastors can get into this awful pattern of thinking, what are the felt needs out there so I can know what to preach on next? Oh, this, I'll preach on that. So they go from topic to topic. And keep people, they keep scratching where it's itching. Say, like, whoa, this is a blessing. You're just telling me what I want to eat. Uh, that can be a veiled condition of conceit, thinking that I am the primary person in this plan of God. Really? Well, conceit can be thinking that um, those unlike ourselves are hopeless. Oh, I'm glad I'm not one of those. Be careful there. And another can be this conceit of ascribing truth, get this one. I see this a lot. This can slip by you. Watch it. Listen to me. Thinking that because someone is a victim or who suffered, thinking that what they say has the quality of truth about it just because of their experience. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because you end up interpreting your own condition. It's a subjective guess. No, you don't. Truth is settled in God's revelation in his word. All right, enough on that. But we're not quite through yet. We have this uh, 
three and four. These two won't take as much time, but I want to get them. Look what he goes on to say now in verses 28 and 29. Notice. He says, from the standpoint of the gospel, they, Jews, are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Oh, what a thought. Beloved enemies. Have you thought of enemies that way? They're beloved. It's the way God thinks of the Jews who have rejected him. He loves them. He loves them. And so that is because of them that he says this, that for the gifts and the calling of God, look, look at that, look at in the text, these gifts, this is, they bear witness to the reality of the calling. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. This is a, the promises, the, the covenants, all that that's bound up in that package that God has given to them. And so he says they are irrevocable. There'll be no callback on that. I get annoyed by those. You get those things. They want to send me a notice say, we've got a recall on the cars in this age group. <laughs> and and you've got to go in. Well, sometimes it's necessary. I don't want to be too, bit, too much cynical here, but got to watch out sometimes maybe yes maybe no but no okay back off come back to this point being these are not revocable promises that God made to Israel in the Old Testament is filled with them for just as you were once were disobedient then you will now have been shown because of their disobedience you've been shown grace you've been shown m-e-r-c-y mercy does that word sound familiar? Huh? Got an echo from the earlier reading in, in chapter 9? Let me go to 31. And so these also now have been disobedient in order that because of the mercy shown to you Gentiles, they also may sh now sh be shown mercy. God giving out some mercy here. You got to like it. And then... He concludes by saying, and for God has shut up all Jew and Gentile in disobedience that he might show mercy to all to receive his mercy. An amen goes there. Thank you, God, for your mercy to me. Mercy and grace. How wonderful. I want to conclude this by just calling attention to the fact that Israel's restoration is assured by the immutability of God. That he's unchangeable. You got his word on it. And it's not by works. It's by his grace. And also, can I just go ahead and take the next verses 30 to 32. Here, here it is, number four. Israel's future restoration is assured by the mercy of God. Gentiles, they've had a long disobedience. Oh my, if God, talk about long suffering. Look at the Gentile nations. All that we go through in cycles of cultural disbelief. We're in a new one now. Not new, really, but we're in a new one. Uh, and it's caught on with a lot of people. And people go to that. That's the answer to our problems. If you want a recent example of it, just watch, re-listen to those three presidents that went before Congress this past week and to their answers about Jew, the Jews and genocide. Well, it depends on context. Talk about waffling and dodging. 
This is showing us how deep and wide the evil is. Let me say this before I run out of time. What we're finding out through this current anti-Semitism, um, uh, this rampant anti-Semitism in, in what's happened in Israel, it has pulled the lid off a lot of evil. A lot of been, who've been hiding, people have been hiding. All right, next hour on that. I conclude by just saying, that, saying it this way, that therefore this mercy of God has been shown. Thank God for his mercy. You know, about, let's think about grace and mercy. They're sisters, theological sisters. I think I like to think of it this way. And this here, this, this is Gentile believers. Get a hold of this. It says there's a lot of mercy has been shown to us. Let's say that you, this, you go out and ride your bike. And, uh, okay, you don't put your helmet on. And you've been told, don't go out there and, and, and don't go here with the bike and don't go there. And you get out there on your bike. Now, you're adults, but just use your imagination, okay. And you get on your bike and you go out. And on top of it, you've been told, and you ride through your mother's flower bed. It looks bad. And then, as you're going down the driveway, you're just, you're being really reckless, careless. You fall off. Now, for every person who's fallen off a bicycle and skinned his body parts, welcome to this picture. And you get the kind of abrasions that it just, just take the skin off. And it's just, it's not a deep cut. But it burns, it oozes, it hurts, and it's going to be inconvenient for a good while. And you come in the house and you're crying. Whoa, 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 help me. I feel awful. I'm hurt. I got skin elbows, got skin hips. It was bad. And mother comes and she says, okay, here, I'm going to do this. And she takes some. She takes some cool rags and she kind of dabs a little bit. You don't want to wipe it. You, know, you just want to dab it. And you just keep it from running and you get it cooled off. And there were some medicines. I remember once upon a time, there are medicines that, that can help a little bit. And so you get this, this kindness. You know what that is? That's mercy. Mercy. And you get this mercy. Yeah, you disobeyed mama. You shouldn't have done that. Why were you out there doing what I told you not to do? You could have had a concussion. And you're reckless. And she, she takes care of those scrapes. And then on top of it, she goes to the refrigerator. And she gets out a great popsicle. Been there. <laughs> and she said, because you know, your throat is dry. It's cool, it's icy, great popsicle. You know what that is? That's grace. You didn't deserve that. You, de you deserve something else. Look what you got yourself into. Go on, you just go sit over there and you just bleed and hurt and cry. No, mercy and grace. And you know what we received when we came to Christ? Mercy and grace. No matter what your record is up to the point when you come to Christ as an unforgiven sinner, you may have lived a hellacious life. And we all do in one way or another. Self-righteous. We didn't need God. No time for him. 
and we get ourselves make a mess of things can go along in life and, and make bad decisions and then God comes and says God loves you for Christ died for our sins once for all the just for the unjust in order that he might bring us to God having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit forgives our sins thank you Lord oh thank you for your mercy and I know I didn't deserve this <laughs> I deserve a whole lot of bad things to happen to me and you've forgiven me I'm yours and you're going to help me get better and you're with me and you're never going to give up on me isn't that good news and this it's no wonder by the way it's no wonder that verses 33 through 36 are the follow-up to this it's actually it's kind of like a bookend to chapter 9 verse 1 down to 36 33 through 36 and oh what's the wisdom and knowledge of God you know how unsearchable his judgments and unfathomable his ways for who's known the mind of the Lord who's become his counselor who's first given to him that it might be paid back to him for from him through him and to him are all things amen that's what that's the only thing Paul could do was break into a doxology so that apostolic disease they have a way of breaking into doxologies here and there are you there this morning my dear friend are you there with that grace and mercy of God to us personally? And no matter what you're going through, and you know that God's in control of all your circumstances, even now as a believer, yeah, he is, he is. He's not letting you pedal on your own. You, you, he's, he's looking out, and things can be disappointing. Thank God for his grace and mercy. I think, let's pray about it. Father, thank you for your mercy and grace to us. Oh, Lord, we pray for Israel. Oh, God, that there will be a turning. Many Jews will come to put their faith in the Messiah, in the Messiah. Please, Lord, please, do a great work in Israel, the nation among the Jews, all, all 16 million of them throughout the world. Oh, do a work. But Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do, finishing it out. Coming again. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. If there's one here this morning's never come to Christ, oh, that he or she will bow the knee before you today to receive your forgiveness in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand